Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Oh Lord, you are a good, good Father. You alone are great. Your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, you are perfect in every decision, every answer you give, every deed you perform. Lord, we are humbled that we can come before you, our God, God Almighty, and you hear our prayers. You love our prayers. They're fragrance to you. They are like incense before you. Lord, we ask first off as we come to you that you would forgive us for the sin that clings so closely to each one of us. For each one of us here, we've struggled in in thought or word or deed or all three. Our flesh, Lord, it's weak even though our spirit is willing But Lord, in asking for forgiveness, not by our merit or earning your forgiveness, but because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we know that you do not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love toward those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. We thank you in Jesus' name for that. We thank you for your grace towards us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for our freedom to gather today and celebrate our Savior. Lord, we want to lift before you this morning uh, those who are sick and in need of healing of healing. We ask that you would grant that healing, and and when you decide not to grant that healing, would you grant endurance and perseverance and an abundance of faith, that you would bring before those people um, who are suffering and, and ill, Lord, that you would remind them that you are the suffering Savior, that you have suffered with them and for them, and, and that one day their pain will be done, their sickness will be gone. Lord, would you strengthen marriages among us? Would you save unbelieving spouses and and turn um, straying people in this church away or turn them back to you? Lord, there are several who have stopped gathering with the saints completely and we ask that you would bring us back to the gathering, bring them back to the gathering. Lord, so that we can encourage one another We now turn to your word this morning, Lord. We desperately need your spirit to guide us. We need your spirit to to open our ears. We need your spirit to illuminate the scriptures to us so that we can understand what it is that you're showing us. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us the ability to apply this, not by our own strength, but by your spirit that is within us. 
Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would guide me as I proclaim your, your word. May I be faithful to the text and bold to proclaim what you've shown me in, in my own study and, and completely reliant on your ability to use your word to build your kingdom. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Or you can hang out with us. It's cool. We don't mind. The rest of you, turn with me to Acts chapter 8, as Vern read this morning, 8, 9 through 25. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here. Um, this morning, we met this character. His name is Simon in our, in our text this morning. Uh, he's known in history as Simon Magus or Simon the Great. Um, so I googled, what does it mean? How do I become great? I wanted to know, how do I become great? Um, Simple Google search shows there's eight very simple ways to become great. This is all you have to do. Just be passionate, work hard, be good, and not as a good person, but be like really good at what you do. Uh, Focus, push the limits, serve, create ideas, and be persistent. Do all those things, you'll be great. And they're all good things, right? Like these things we should aspire. We should, I could argue that these are things we could strive to do. I could argue biblically for some of them. Uh, you should be a servant. Uh, you should work hard. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with working hard. There's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with being driven even. The problem comes when we focus, when the focus of this life and the focus of all of those things in our lives are moving, not to help us participate in building the kingdom of God, but building the kingdom of ourselves. So often we get, we get caught up in ideas and goals and, and our own aspirations that we forget we're, we're part of something so much bigger than this life. We're, we're part of something so much bigger than working to pay a bill or even working to retire. We're part of an eternal kingdom. We get to participate in an eternal kingdom and helping uh, the Lord or actually participating with the Lord and building that kingdom. And that's what the gospel leads us to do. The gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ, not our own kingdom. So to build God's kingdom, we first need to see the gospel expose the the wicked desires of our hearts. So to get the good news, we need the bad news first, right? Acts 8, verse 9 If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Please be in the Word with me. I want you to see it. Uh, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not creative in that sense at all. Verse 9, the gospel exposes the desires of our heart. But there was a man, his name was Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city. He amazed the people of Samaria and said that he himself was somebody great. 
See, deep down in us, and if you'll notice in your uh, bulletin, that's why I grabbed one, uh, there are notes on the inside, and I left you a bunch of blanks. I know I have some type A personalities out there, blanks for you. I know you like that. I know you like that. Um, So they're in there if you want to follow along. Uh, The gospel first exposes our desire to be called great. Deep down inside of us, uh, every one of us, in at least some level, we want to be great. We want people to say, you're right. It's like music to our ears when someone says, you're right. Or, what do you think? Like, you are an expert in this. What do you think? Or, you are awesome. We, we just have that. We want that. We want that recognition. We see that reflected here in Simon. He had made this great name for himself. He was a magician. He, he claimed that he was great. He allowed them to say that his power was from God and he was the great one. He boasted how important he was, and he was telling people in that boasting, I'm the guy you need. Just come to me, watch my magic, and and I am your answer. But the desire to be great, it's it's not new. It's, It's actually the oldest thing we can see. If you'll just turn with me to Genesis 3. I didn't put it up on the screen. You actually have to flip in your Bible. We're going to look at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Verse 3, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, And he ate. From the very beginning, uh, the temptation has been, you want to be like God, right? You want to be great, right? All you have to do is this, and you'll be like God. You're going to be great. Even the disciples, later on, they had been with Jesus for three years. They are still struggling in their heart with this desire to be great. Luke 22, remember we were there shortly, not too long ago. Uh, A dispute arose among them, among the disciples, as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You see that desire to be great. The desire to be made much of comes from a heart that longs for one of two things, or both. One, we want to be like or we want to be God ourselves. And two, we want to be more important than other people. We want to be more important than other people. So we long to be like God or equal with God when we desire to be the answer for people. I want to be the answer for you. This desire um, for, is for people to depend on us, to applaud us, to make much of us. 
This shows up in the desire to always be right. I wrestle with that in my own life. I just always want to be right. I, even when I realize I'm not right, I still want to be right. Uh, I just had to see that was public confession of sin right there. Uh, it shows up in the insistence of having your own way. It's the refusal to celebrate someone else uh, over yourself. Um, the desire to be the answer. It's, it's a lust for, for people to flock to us, to listen to us. It's, it's rampant uh, on social media. Everyone wants hearts and likes and thumbs ups and the things that really matter in life. Everyone's, everyone wants followers. And any attempt, we need to know this, any attempt to magnify ourselves, to build ourselves up, to be great in others' eyes is an attempt to steal or rob God's glory. It's an attempt to fill his role as Savior. And God tells us very plainly in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord. That's my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols, or we can just replace that with uh, social media idols or yourself. We desire to be more important than others, so we desire to be like God uh, on one instance, and we desire to be more important than others when we exalt our knowledge, our strength, our righteousness above other people. So in conversation, this looks like um, I'm not actually going to listen to what you're saying. I'm just going to get my point across. So I, my point's more important than your point. Um, I'm not, I'll hear you, but then I'm going to prove you wrong. In relationships, this looks like tearing down instead of building up. Uh, it, professionally, this would be arrogance. It would be bullying, uh, taking advantage of people, using your position to get your way. Spiritually, this is self-righteousness. Uh, I can't believe all these sinners around me. Or the lack of sharing Christ with your enemy. I'm more important and I don't need to share Christ. See, the gospel, it exposes our hearts. It's like the writer of Hebrews said, the word of God is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It lays us open. And we say, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But the purpose of being exposed is so that we can see the true great one. Like, you're not the great one, but let me tell you about the great one, Jesus Christ. Here's another slide for you, type A's. Desire to be led by someone. We have this desire to be led by someone. So if you're back at Acts, I'm sure you're already there. Acts 8, 10, and 11. They, this is the Samaritans, they all paid attention to Simon from the least to the greatest. They were saying, this man is the power of God that's called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. Now this is a little bit different because we're created to, to want to be led by Yahweh. 
We're created to want to depend on him, want to be in relationship with him because he's the answer. But that goes haywire when we replace him with someone else. It it goes haywire when we fail to follow the true king. So Simon here, he's saying, I'm great, and he's amazed all of these people because he's great, and he's doing all of these magic tricks, and he's fooled them into thinking he's the power of God. And because they attributed to him that position, he's the power of God, he led them astray. He led them away from the true God. But the gospel, it works to uncover that in our hearts. It works to uncover that which is leading us away from the Lord or the people that are leading us away from the Lord. So look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip. So remember, Philip left Jerusalem and he's preaching the gospel in Samaria with great success. So when they believed Philip's message of the gospel, he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. They had seen at that time, oh, It's not Simon that we're waiting for. He's not the great one. It's Jesus Christ that's the great one. He's the one that we need. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. If the person that we are following does not reflect Jesus' teaching or his life or his mission, they're leading us astray. If they do not lead us to Jesus as the Messiah, they're not pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. They're not pointing to Jesus' perfect life, his atoning death, his life-giving resurrection, that he alone is the king, then we are being led astray. There's so many leaders in politics, in Hollywood, in the Olympics, in the NFL, uh, Big Sunday today, NBA, Major League Baseball, even in churches. There's strong personalities, but if they're leading us away from Jesus Christ, if they're not pointing us to him or, or leading us away to live contrary to his commands and the way that he's called us to live, then we must not make them great in our hearts. We must not exalt them into a position that they're not supposed to be in. So we need to check, who am I following? I need to ask myself, are they making me look like Jesus or are they making me look like the world? Because I want to look like Jesus. The gospel also exposes our heart's desire for power. We want to be powerful. Look at verses 18 and 19. Now... When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. On the surface, if you just quickly read it and don't think about it at all, uh, it sounds like a good thing. He wants to give people the Holy Spirit, uh, but it's actually a distorted desire. 
He doesn't want to lay hands on people so that they follow Jesus Christ. His desire is for power. He wants the power to give the Holy Spirit so people will think, man, this guy is awesome. He is awesome. He sees it as a a way to the top. You see, Jesus, he promised in Acts 1.8 the power that will be given power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But that power was for the building of the kingdom of God, not the building up of our own personal kingdoms. Seeking power for your own benefit, even if it's veiled in something good, like let me give people the Holy Spirit, if it's seeking it for our own good, it's sin. So I have some poignant examples for you. Husbands, if you desire power over your wife to get your way, right? I want to get my way. So I'm going to cloak this in the biblical discussion of roles. Or I'm going to say, doesn't it say, wives, obey your husbands? I don't think it says that. But um, wives, submit to your husbands. So I'm going to cloak it in that. But my real desire is not to be biblical. It's to win an argument. That's ungodly. And while you're shaking your heads, wives, if you desire to have power over your husband, as is part of the curse, right, with this power struggle, uh, you desire to get your way and you cloak that in the verse, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And your desire is not for him to grow into Christ-likeness, but to win an argument. You're desiring power in an ungodly way. Power that desires our own way, our own choice, our own will is ungodly, it's anti-gospel, it's anti-Christ. It should, that should weigh on us, that that is wrong. The gospel also exposes our desire to, learn, to earn God's favor. Look at verse 20. But Peter says to him, he just asked, let me have the Holy Spirit, I'll give you some money for him. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Peter sharply rebukes Simon. He exposes immediately the desire of his heart. Your desire is not a good one. It is a a wicked one. He thought he could purchase the free gift of God, his spirit, like some advanced magic kit. He wanted this power. And we see the same distortion of the gospel in prosperity preaching. If you just give more money, then God is going to give you more blessings. He's going to increase, the. he's going to open the storehouses. And that is not what the word is saying. What can you give God that owns everything? Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Psalm 50.10, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Job 41.11, who has first given to me that I should repay him? 
Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. At the very core, the desire to earn God's favor, it's fundamentally flawed and opposes the gospel message. It's a free gift. We can't purchase salvation. We can't purchase the Holy Spirit. We can't purchase grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. You didn't bring enough money. You didn't live good enough. It's a gift God gave to you. And we certainly cannot, we can't purchase the ability to use the Spirit for personal gain or self-promotion. God will not be Mocked. The Holy Spirit is not some spiritual sideshow or some genie in a bottle that we can rub and get three wishes. He's God Almighty. We have the Spirit not to make us great, but, but so that the world knows that the God in us is great and he's working miracles and he's saving sinners like me and you and he's doing amazing things. He's building his kingdom. That's why we have the Spirit. It is not for our personal gain. It's for the kingdom of God. The gospel also exposes our desire to stick to the old Life. Look at verse 21 and 23. Peter tells Simon, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Look at verse 23. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. What a nasty picture. And in the bond of iniquity. Simon had believed Philip's message. It says he believed his message. He liked the gospel. He was even baptized. But he still manifested the signs of his old life. He still looked like old Simon. Nothing changed in his heart. He was still bound to sin. He still desired power and magic and superstition. And Jesus tells us his desire reflects in the parable of the, the sower, the one who was sown. I'll just read it. Luke eight fourteen. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the gospel, but as they go on their way, it's choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. He liked the gospel. He heard the gospel. He, he was even baptized, but his fruit did not mature because he was more concerned about riches and pleasures of this life. So is this where you are? Have you believed in the message of Jesus? Have you even been baptized, but you're finding, I've never actually followed him. I've never turned in repentance from my old life. And I don't mean you've never fell in sin, because that would be foolish. We've all sinned. This morning, we've probably all sinned. I'm being gracious when I say probably. We, but do you freely live in it? Do you love it? Do you seek it out? Do you, do you seek out the old life? Do you desire self-promotion more than God's will? If so, the bad news is your heart's being exposed this morning. The good news about the bad news is that there's good news. <laughs> 
The gospel calls us to repentance. This is a good thing. If, if we are cut to the heart, that means that God is, is speaking to us. He's saying, change this right here, and you'll look like me. Let me change this right here, actually. Verse 22. Peter tells Simon, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, to pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. In verse 24, Simon answers, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Repent this morning if you understand yourself to be an unbeliever. Peter calls Simon, you must repent of this sin. He's calling him to repent and and seek God. He's saying, repent, you have been trying to be God. You've been trying to manipulate God's people. Turn from that towards the true gospel. And he says this interesting phrase in verse 22. If possible. He's not saying If God is capable to overcome your wickedness, we know in the cross he's capable to overcome all sin. But he's saying, Simon, if you have not hardened your heart against the gospel, it's only possible if you haven't hardened your heart and completely rejected Jesus Christ. And Peter's warning is one of judgment. Simon, if you don't repent you will be judged. And we can debate all day long if we want. I have time after this. Uh, if he was saved or, and then lost his salvation and then he's calling him back to whatever we, you want to say. But the point here is one of warning. It's a very clear warning. If you use the gospel to exalt yourself, to build your kingdom, then perhaps you're not a believer at all. The warning is if you're using the gospel to receive heaven, to receive the benefits, to maybe even use the Holy Spirit for your benefit, but you want to continue living life however you want, then maybe you haven't grasped the gospel yet. And the call is repent and pray. Turn from your wickedness. So what is repentance? If you also, another reason I have this in my hand is because you all have this in there. Um, it's not super large font, but I, want, I found this quote. I want you to read it with me as I read it. It is one of the best quotes I've seen on repentance. Eugene Peterson wrote in a, a long obedience in the same direction this quote. He says, repentance is not an emotion. It's not feeling sorry for your sin. It's a decision. It's deciding that you've been wrong in supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It's deciding that you were wrong in things that you had or could get, the strength, the education, and training to make it on your own. It's deciding that you've been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. And it's deciding that God and Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is the realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not 
going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. That's what repentance is. I could not say it even close to that good, so I want you to meditate on that, what he is saying there. Repent, believer. If you see that old life coming in, repentance is not a, oh, I did that. I did, back when I was seven, I did that already. It's a life of leaving sin and seeking the Lord. And as he exposes more sin, we leave sin and and follow Christ. And, And as he exposes more and continues on, we live a life of turning away from sin and turning toward the kingdom of God. Believer, you are clean loved, adopted, a child of God. And by his grace, he is, he's disciplining you when he exposes stuff in your heart because he loves you. He wants you to look like him. He wants you to go away from the things that are pulling you away from him. He wants you to pursue him. As you repent, you're not earning favor. You're responding to grace. You're deepening your faith as you move to live out what you say you believe. So pray for forgiveness. Simon doesn't pray for forgiveness in this text, sadly. Don't make that same mistake. Don't say, oh, hey, Pastor Greg, pray for me that that happens. I'm not going to pray for me, but maybe you can. Turn to Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Believe that you have a high priest who, um, we don't have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He knows why we fall. We have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So because of that, because of who he is, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive his mercy and find grace and help in time of need. I can confidently approach the throne and say, I failed, I haven't done this, will you help me, will you forgive me? And and the word says, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We're promised forgiveness. I had 25 verses I was going to read you this morning. I had a lot more to say, so I'm going to cut it down. We're promised forgiveness. I acknowledged my sin to you, David says, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I prayed this this morning in the pastoral prayer. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will remember your sins no more. Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. To him, all the prophets, that's Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, what? Receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I had to throw Paul in there. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Seek forgiveness and you will receive it. And yes, have others pray for you too. Like in verse 24, have others pray. Not in the Catholic priest sense, we have unfettered access to the Lord God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we need our brothers and sisters to pray for us and with us that we may be delivered from the sin that clings so closely to us. I need people praying with me. And this means that when somebody points out my sin, instead of, of attacking back or, or defending it, I say, can you, that's true, can you pray with me? This means I need to confess my sin, to, not to everyone, well, I did this morning, you can be praying for that, uh, but be confessing sin to someone I trust so they can pray with me. And this means also I need to be willing to do that with others. So when our hearts are exposed and we seek repentance, the gospel leads us to build God's kingdom. We're building God's kingdom when every action is moving towards God's glory and that combats our desire for our own glory. Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We've seen Peter, we've seen John, we've seen Stephen, we've seen Philip, and they're all doing these amazing things, but every time they do something amazing, they give glory to God. They see it as an opportunity to present the gospel. Simon takes glory for himself. Jesus, in the dispute, looking back at Luke 22, as the disciples, they are debating who's the greatest, and he says to them, the kings of Gentiles exercise lordship over them, And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, the leader, the one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. He says, I, God Almighty, am here serving you. You do the same. By becoming like the younger, we're exalting God's glory, not our own. Our glory naturally fades away. We're also building God's kingdom when our message is of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, uh, and that combats against us building our own kingdom. So we see Simon's message, I am great, and we see Philip's message, Jesus is great. That has to be our message. Jesus is the king, and that immediately means I'm not the king. Uh, his kingdom must come. That immediately means mine has to fade. You see, church, the more we proclaim the kingdom, the more we understand what our desire is. And it's not the kingdom of Greg. My kingdom is crumbling if it was up to me. 
It's not the kingdom of successful business or the kingdom of wealth or health or even really obedient children. It's the kingdom that Jesus Christ must increase and I must decrease. We're also building God's kingdom when we desire others to grow and that combats self-righteousness. Look at verses 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, uh, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they may receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet, he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit." Notice that the apostles didn't just hide away with the Holy Spirit power in Jerusalem and say, hey, we're the super apostles, we're awesome, the rest of you stink. They desired to come down and build the church. They wanted the Spirit to be given to more people so that the kingdom would continue to grow. They came to Samaria so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They wanted Jesus to build his kingdom. And the power of the Holy Spirit is always given for the building up of the kingdom. Always for his kingdom. The power to proclaim his message. The power to change lives. Now, quickly, I need to deal with the idea here. They had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Why didn't they receive the Holy Spirit yet? Verse 16 says... For they had not, it had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we think, what? We've only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? That doesn't seem like a small thing. But Jesus commanded, I go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, so check, Samaria, baptizing them, check, in the name of, ah, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm not certain why Philip doesn't baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit here. I, I don't have that answer for you this morning, but perhaps it was so the apostles could come and affirm the faith and the people there. This is something new. We have to remember, this is something that Jesus promised in John 4. He told the woman in Samaria, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Here it is. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We have to remember that what's happening here in Samaria is new. It's a new thing. The spirit had not been given to the people like this before Acts 2. That much of the Bible story, you see? Not yet. So what's happening here is is new thing. Baptized, or Philip was baptized. He baptized them. They followed him. But Simon, or Peter, goes and he lays hands on them, acknowledges they believe the true gospel, and they receive the Holy Spirit. 
And we continue this legacy by preaching what the apostles wrote and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, I'm rounding the corner. Second base. No, I'm kidding. Uh, We are building God's kingdom also when we desire to guard the gospel. That combats false teaching. Peter exposes Simon. What you are wanting to do, what you're wanting to become is a false teacher. It's a false gospel you're wanting to proclaim. But he addresses him specifically. He goes to him. He doesn't slander him on Samaritan, Samaritan social media. He, he goes right to him and addresses him and says, what you are teaching is wrong. Church history tells us that Simon is the father of Gnosticism, so he doesn't turn. He doesn't believe. He, he preaches a false gospel. He travels around with a woman named Helena, and she declares to be the incarnation of the divine mind, and he allows himself to be buried in Rome, and he says, don't worry, three days and I'll rise, and uh, that's the end of his story. He doesn't rise after three days. I just want to give you two warnings Be careful who you follow, for John tells us in 1 John, the Antichrist will come from the church. And second, ask yourself, do I really believe what I believe? Does it show? Finally, we're building God's kingdom when we desire, when our desire is for all to know the gospel, combating tribalism. That word has been so abused lately, I didn't want to use it this morning, but I wanted to anyways, because I like it. Um, I just don't like how it's abused. Tribalism is the behavior and attitude that stems from strongly being connected, strongly being loyal to your social group. It becomes a problem when it causes Christians to say, us against them. It's us against them. It's us against this person, this group, this kind. And, and it starts, that's thinking, it starts making us, us against the world and we stop sharing the gospel. We stop praying for the lost. We stop loving our enemies. But the apostles share the gospel in a nation they grew up hating, hated the Samaritans. They, didn't, they walked around Samaria to get to Jerusalem. They destroyed, by preaching the gospel, this Jew versus Samaritan idea. They only wanted people to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter who they were. As Christians, we need to have that same desire. If we refuse to share the gospel with someone because they're not like me, they're not in my group, I'm falling victim to tribalism. If I refuse to share Christ because of race or politics or location or language or whatever, I'm falling victim to tribalism. Our hearts and our desires should be, I want everyone to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have seen in your heart Simon the Great rising up, If you have seen the desire to be the great one, the desire to have it your way, the desire to build only your kingdom, repent and turn to Jesus. He's gracious, 
He's merciful. He has never, ever turned anyone away. The gospel leads us to build God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. And church, may that be our focus until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness that whenever your word goes out, it doesn't return void. I thank you that you're building your kingdom. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that every one of us would live a life of repentance, that we would seek you, that we would seek to build your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that you would help us to fulfill what you've called us to because apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541 756 2591 or email us at pray at houserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot